You're listening to the Live Free Now podcast, bringing you the news, views, tips, and tools you can use to live a free, prosperous, and healthy life. Find us online at livefreenow.show. And now your host, John Bush. Welcome, welcome to the Live Free Now show, bringing you the news, views, tips, and tools you can use to live a free, prosperous, and healthy life. Thank you so much for tuning in to the program today. uh, It's been a while since I was in studio here in Austin, Texas, so it's good to be back home. I recently took a trip to Florida Yes, Florida, where the governor, Governor DeSantis, lifted all the COVID restrictions, flew in a plane, which was interesting, visited my girlfriend's folks, brought my two kiddos along, they're seven and nine, and we had the the pleasure of going to Universal Studios to take part in Harry Potter's, Harry Potter's Wizarding World, and I want to share with you about that, what that experience was like. Uh, also, I'll tell the story of my little trip and how all the crazy COVID stuff went down. And I also today want to talk to you about this awesome essay by Albert J. Nock, who was a libertarian thinker and writer, influencer. He really influenced Murray Rothbard quite a bit. Uh, the essay was written in 1936 and published in the Atlantic Monthly, which I guess has taken a pretty big turn for the worst since 1936, but the essay is called Isaiah's Job. And in the essay, Albert J. Nock recounts the story of the prophet Isaiah, and he does so talking about the importance of the remnant, those people in society that will go forward and pick up the pieces when everything crumbles. So I'm going to talk about that in the context of COVID-19 and of all the censorship going on right now. A lot has changed since we last were with you. The Conscious Resistance Network YouTube channel has been deleted, banned memory hold by YouTube. Now, this was something that we anticipated. This was something that we warned about. We've been encouraging you guys to go over and follow us on Library which uh, I'll show you how to do that here shortly. But yeah, the Conscious Resistance Network was something that Derek Bros created, and he was gracious enough to invite me over to publish on that channel. And uh, that really helped to really get a boost on the podcast feed and all that stuff. So I'm really grateful uh, to Derek for his work. We've known each other for quite some time. But the channel was something that he'd worked eight years to do, Um, with uh, over 2,000 videos and over 2 million subscribers, something like that, just phenomenal numbers, all sorts of documentaries, all sorts of interviews and protests and speeches and actions, and YouTube just scrubbed it. And Big Tech, Google, the Alphabet Company, Facebook, Twitter, they have been on a censorship rampage, and it's pretty clear that they are concerned with people sharing the truth about what's really going on in this world. If you recall, a year or two ago, there was a big purge, the first purge that took out the Cop Block Facebook page, Free Thought Project, Anti-Media. And this was actually where the first term, the term fake news came from. 
they there was some like college professor that wrote a paper saying that this is fake news and dangerous to democracy and all that stuff and they listed all of these websites and those ended up being the same websites that facebook took out so that was the purge 1.0 we've since gone through purge 2.0 or 3.0 but i want to talk about the facebook censorship and all the big tensor censorship in the context of this this the difference between the remnant and the masses and we're going to talk about those details we're going to break all that down and if you're an activist if you're a truth seeker if you're a radical innovator i want to hopefully encourage you to still remain optimistic and redouble your efforts to find the remnant and to organize the remnant and of course we have a great vehicle to do just that in freedom cells so before we get into the details of all that stuff well first uh rest in peace for the youtube channel the conscious resistance network uh like i said derek had invited me to broadcast on there and when we would do our live streams we would have over a hundred people well, I'm live right now on a few other channels, and there's not nearly that many people. So uh, we're going to have to double down again. And, you know, at the end of the day, if if big tech keeps censoring and shutting all these channels down, it's really going to have the effect of getting people to communicate through other channels and to go back to the old school days where we were standing on street corners, passing out 9-11 truth DVDs, reaching people directly. So the truth will get out there. There are people that are active and activists that will stop at nothing to uh, wake people up, to encourage people to opt out of this whole technocratic nightmare. We're going to talk a little bit about that as well. I did get the book COVID-19, The Great Reset, which is written by Klaus Schwab. Really been diving deep on The Great Reset, which I think is a big threat to individual liberty. We'll be talking about that a whole lot. Tomorrow I'm going to be interviewing a, a former professor in uh, Tulsa, Oklahoma, and she's basically a whistleblower. She's going to give us some of the details on how they have this educational pipeline where they uh, take the youth and find jobs for them based on their traits and their characteristics and position them to go into these careers that are all predetermined and, and how these big tax-exempt foundations are influencing local education. We're going to bring you that interview tomorrow. But first, let me recount my experience in Florida. We had a great time. And we, like I said, we went for four days to visit my girlfriend's parents. They live in St. Augustine. Let me share some pictures with you for the video audience, and I'll just tell you what the pictures are if you're listening here on the podcast. But this is a picture of me at Austin Bergstrom International Airport, and I wanted to do an experiment and see what the deal is with not wearing a mask. So I didn't wear a mask all the way through Austin Bergstrom International Airport, and no one said a damn thing to me. I had some funny looks, not very many. But the TSA didn't say anything. The people at the gate said nothing. And of course, once you get on the plane, they are pretty strict about keeping that mask on, even it, keeping it above your nose, right? Which is something, you know, when you're talking in one of these surgical masks, it always goes down beneath the nose. But uh, so that's good to report. More often than not, if you just don't wear the damn mask, people aren't going to give you trouble. A lot of people are too anxious and nervous to even confront someone. So that's me there at Austin Bergstrom International. This is me and my family. Nobody was wearing masks at the airport, and no one seemed to care, and no one got sick. Nobody died because of us. This is my lovely girlfriend. 
picture of her on the plane. She has her mask on and she has a face mask on to help with sleeping. So her face is totally covered up. That's pretty funny. We visited this awesome alligator farm once we were in St. Augustine. Saw a lot of cool animals. Uh, the, the scene in Florida is fewer people are wearing masks than anywhere else I have found. And boy, was it a breath of fresh air. Now, there's still maybe 20, 30 percent mask wearing. There's a whole lot of old folks in Florida, as you know. Uh, that's a big retirement community in Florida. And a lot of old people weren't wearing masks either. People are basically just living their lives to the fullest. There's my goofy kids with some funny faces here. You can find this on my YouTube channel if you're the podcast audience and you want to check it out. That's a tortoise there. My daughter getting with the alligator crushing her head. So on this trip, I had the privilege. <laughs> I had the right of going and getting an authentic haircut. You can see the haircut now, again, for the video audience. I went and got an authentic haircut at an old school barber shop that had been there for 35 years, they said. And this was a great experience with a great barber. I did not have to wear a mask, which was amazing. I've gotten one haircut since this whole pandemic thing had started. And that was the first time that I wore a mask for an extended period of time. I had worn it into some restaurants when you just walk down and get seated and the whole nonsense of you taking the mask off when you're at your seat. Totally annoying. Um, but I got a haircut back in Austin and wore the mask for like 20 minutes and it was really unpleasant and it was very difficult to breathe and I did not like it. I'm not a generally claustrophobic guy, but I felt claustrophobic. So I know people are like, well, well, there's doctors and surgeons that wear masks all the time. Well, they do. And then they take it off. And that's a medical environment and whatever. Maybe we should do a whole show on the mask, but I'm not a mask man. And I don't think the science adds up and it is not good to have your breathing hinge such. And that's whatever. I don't care if people think that there's science that says otherwise. That's my feeling. That's my body. That's my bodily autonomy and bodily sovereignty, right? So my body, my choice, I guess you could say. So the barber was great. He was wearing a mask. And while I was getting a haircut, a really old couple, they must have been around 80 years old, came in, an older gentleman, an older woman. And they both came in with no mask, living life as though there was no pandemic, scamdemic going on. So I thought that was really cool and appreciated that. And that was something that I witnessed a whole lot in my experience in Florida. This is the Derek Bros Conscious Resistance channel getting deleted. That was the screenshot there. So we went to Universal Studios Florida, and I got to tell you, we had a great time. We Since we binge-watched all of the Harry Potter movies in the couple weeks leading up to our visit to the Wizarding, Wizarding World of Harry Potter, we had a great time, and we did our very best not to let the masks bring us down. But I must say, in the humid Florida sun, it was rather difficult to wear a mask all day. But we did find some creative workarounds such as having a whole bunch of lollipops that we sucked on a whole lot. And that was great. Here's my son sucking on a lollipop, no mask, with his little Harry Potter wizard wand. So let me show you this one picture. It was also slow sipping Kratom most of the time, so that helps as well. Of course, the rules are that you do not have to wear a mask when you're eating or drinking, so having a lollipop is a great thing to do. Now, I will say when we went into the Hogwarts Express going through platform nine and three quarters. 
they seated us in a little private little cubby, just like in the movies. And an announcement came over the speakers that said, you are under active surveillance at all times. Make sure you follow the COVID rules, wearing a mask, staying distance, washing your hands. And here's a picture for the viewing audience of my girlfriend. It says, you are under active surveillance. Please remain seated at all times. And we were like, where's the camera? I, maybe they're just saying that, but it, I think the camera was behind these mirrors here. So there's a lot of Big Brother stuff going on. Like I said, we tried to make the most of it and really enjoy our time. This is us all sucking, sucking on some lollipops. So all in all, it was a great trip. Got to learn a whole lot about what it's like traveling during COVID times. And in Florida, it's good to see that people are getting back to business as usual. We went to downtown St. Augustine, and it was completely crowded and completely packed. There were thousands of people. Less than half of them were wearing masks. We were invited to a free magic show where they brought us into a very small room, probably a little bit bigger than the studio that I'm broadcasting to you from right now. And there was about probably 12 people that were in there, four or five different groups. None of them wore masks and the magician didn't wear a mask. And it was a very beautiful thing. And at the beginning of the magic show, the magician said, when we're in here, let's forget about all the craziness going on in the outside world. And that really stuck for me. I was grateful to be getting back to life as normal, to see so few people wearing masks, so little social distancing, and the sky was not falling. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. In Florida, the lockdown restrictions have been completely lifted, and there is not some crazy intense spike going on. Now, there is stuff saying there's a spike, but really it's a case-demic. There's more cases being spread, it appears, and there's also more testing. And there is a slight uptick in deaths, and then there's all of the fear-mongering about the hospitals being overwhelmed, but it's the same story as we saw before when they had all these spillover and surge hospitals and were spending millions of dollars to build these emergency units that never got used and in all reality, there weren't really any hospitals that got overwhelmed in the whole country, except for perhaps in New York City. We know that definitely wasn't the case in Texas. They said the hospitals are at 80% capacity. And then you go do research historically, and you find that 70 to 80% is an optimal capacity for a hospital, especially if it's a private hospital that operates like a hotel. The more capacity they have, or the less capacity they have, the more occupancy they have, the more money they make. So this whole pandemic scandemic thing is really unraveling. And let's use that in order to segue into our discussion here today about Isaiah's job. The more and more I go out and about and interact with other human beings, the more I realize that there's really two different worlds that people are living in. There is one group of people that is thinking critically that is doing their own research, that is not simply eating up anything that comes out of a public health authority's mouth, that is not worshiping at the altar of Dr. Fauci. I saw someone that had a mask that had Dr. Fauci on the mask, and they were made to look like a saint with a halo behind his head. 
I thought that was absolutely ridiculous. And of course, the husband and wife duo were both wearing political shirts for some candidate. I assume it was a Democrat candidate, but there's one group of people that's really, really scared. I should say there's three groups of people. It seems like there's a, the good bulk of people are just going along to get along. They don't want to shake things up. They see a sign on the front of a business door or at the airport, and they follow what the sign says. They don't even ask what the regulation is or if this is even legit or valid. They don't want to hassle anyone. They just want to go about their lives, go to their work, come back home, have a beer, relax, watch a football game. Then there's this other group of people that's totally freaked out and taking this extremely seriously. And many of these people, they're not caring for elderly parents or a lot of them don't have pre-existing conditions. They're just generally freaked out. There's even been studies show that millennials are more scared of the virus and they exaggerate the true effects and the mortality rate uh, compared to other groups of people, especially older folks, especially older Florida folks. So there's these groups. And then there's a group of people like I said, that are thinking critically, that are reading between the lines, and there's a smaller group of people that have been researching this whole push for global governance, technocrat technocratic police state, biomedical surveillance state. And one group can be called the masses. And so with that, let's get into this essay. There's this awesome essay that I read many years ago, it must have been 12, 15 years ago, called Isaiah's Job. It's by Albert J. Nock. You can find it at the Mises Institute, and I link to it down below. This essay had a really profound impact on my development as an activist. You see, early on in the Ron Paul days, there was an effort to silence and suppress and discourage truth activists from speaking their mind and talking about 9-11 truth and talking about the New World Order and the Council on Foreign Relations and all that stuff. And I recall even being passed up as a speaker whenever the Students for Liberty came to town to put on a little conference at the University of Texas. I recall being in the Republican Liberty Caucus and Republican activism because we were trying to get Ron Paul elected. And everyone's like, no, hush, hush, you can't talk about these conspiracies, can't talk about these conspiracies. Even though Ron Paul, of course, talks about the Jekyll Island conspiracy quite a bit. It's like some are okay, but others aren't. They're all people that are conspiring in secret. There's all so, so many facts and evidence, empirical data about all this different stuff. But I'd read this essay and I realized that we ought not water down the message in order to appeal to the masses, because in doing so, we weaken its appeal to those that really matter, the remnant, right? Okay, so let's let's get right to this, this awesome essay. I'm going to refer to some notes here, and if you're watching on TV on your computer, you'll be able to see these notes. But I want to I stress the importance of this real quick and just paint the picture. We are living in unprecedented times where those in power, the powers that be or the powers that wish they were, have access to technology whereby they can rule over and enslave and suppress like never before. We are experiencing a technocratic elite. The oligarchs in society are joining forces through institutions like the United Nations 
and the World Economic Forum, non-governmental organizations, and tax-exempt foundations like the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation and the Rockefeller Foundation. They are working together to create a future that is essentially a panopticon society where everyone is surveilled, tracked, and traced. They're leveraging 5G technology and smart data and even blockchain in order to create a total control society. One of the big players in this, of course, is the World Economic Forum. They're calling it the Great Reset, which aims, essentially it's a marketing campaign, which aims to reshape the social contract and the nature of capitalism and the role of government and business working together to create this ideal vision of what society should look like. And it's not a pretty picture. It's all about control. It's all about government control. It's like a nasty, ugly form of technocratic communism, really. And it's extremely important that we activists, we redouble our efforts and we go out there and we find the others. So I just want to paint the picture. This essay influenced me back in the day as an activist trying to wake people up to 9-11 truth and to the conspiratorial view of history. Now it is influencing me in the context of finding the others, finding the remnant, as we'll discuss, and organizing them. It's my belief that we have enough people that are awake, air quotes, that are awake, that if we simply organize and get behind a – get into a vehicle. I'm going to sell freedom cells here in a little while, but it could be anything really. If we simply stop being these disparate groups that are just posting online and talking to our friends and stuff and we work together, we can essentially build our own society. So that's where we enter this essay. Albert J. Nock talks about a friend of his who's an economist, and his friend says, I have a mission to the masses. I feel that I'm called to get the ear of the people. I shall devote the rest of my life to spreading my doctrine far and wide among the population. What do you think? This guy was a, an economist that was talking about some sort of free market economic principles. And Albert J. Nock was like, uh, hmm. Albert J. Knox says, so I mustered courage to say that he had no such mission and would do well to get the idea out of his head at once. He would find that the masses would not care two pins for his doctrine. And this is where he introduces the book of Isaiah in the Bible, the prophet Isaiah. So let me just give you a little bit of background. This is Albert J. Knox's words. I'm going to be reading directly from the essay to introduce you to Isaiah and what the Lord had asked Isaiah to do. The prophet's career began at the end of King Uzziah's reign, say about 740 BC. This reign was uncommonly long, almost half a century, and apparently prosperous. It was one of those prosperous reigns, however, like the reign of Marcus Aurelius at Rome, or the administration of Eubulus at Athens, or Mr. Coolidge at Washington, where at the end of the prosperity suddenly peters out. At the end, the prosperity prosperity suddenly peters out, and things go by the board with a resounding crash. In the year of Uzziah's death, the Lord commissioned the prophets to go out and warn the people of the wrath to come. Tell me what tell them what a worthless lot they are, he said. Tell them what is wrong and why and what is going to happen, unless they have a change of heart and straighten up. Don't mince matters. Make it clear that they are positively down to their last chance. Give it to them good and strong and keep on giving it to them. 
I suppose perhaps I ought to tell you, he added, that it won't do any good. The official class and their intelligentsia will turn up their noses at you, and the masses will not even listen. They will all keep on their own ways until they carry everything down to destruction, and you will probably be lucky if you get out with your life. So this is kind of counterintuitive, you see. The, the Lord is telling Isaiah to go tell the masses all of these things, knowing that he is doomed to fail. All right, so Albert J. Knott continues. Isaiah had been very willing to take on the job, in fact. He had asked for it. But the prospect put a new face on the situation. It raised the obvious question, why, if all that were so, if the enterprise were to be a failure from the start, was there any sense in starting it? Ah, the Lord said, you do not get the point. There is a remnant there that you know nothing about. They are obscure, unorganized, inarticulate, each one rubbing along as best he can. They need to be encouraged and braced up, because when everything has gone completely to the dogs, they are the ones who will come back and build up a new society. And meanwhile, your preaching will reassure them and keep them hanging on. Your job is to take care of the remnant. So be off now and set about it. Now, before I give my own opinion and relate this back to our current job as activists and and with the really high stakes right now, let's just read a little bit more from the essay where Albert J. Nock describes what the remnant is and what the masses are. Apparently, then, if the Lord's word is good for anything, I do not offer any opinion about that. The only element in Judean society that was particularly worth bothering about was the remnant. Isaiah seems to finally have got it through his head that this was the case, that nothing was to be expected from the masses. But if anything substantial were ever to be done in Judea, the remnant would have to do it. This is a very striking and suggestive idea, but before we explore it, we need to be quite clear about our terms. What do we mean by the masses, and what by the remnant? As the word masses is commonly used, it suggests agglomerations of poor and underprivileged people, laboring people, proletarians, and it means nothing like that. Now, here's the definition from Albert J. Nock. It simply means the majority, the mass man who has neither the force of intellect to apprehend the principles issuing in what we know as the humane life, nor the force of character to adhere to those principles steadily and strictly as laws of conduct. And because such people make up the great and overwhelming majority of mankind, they are called collectively the masses. The line of differentiation between the masses and the remnant is set invariably by quality, not by circumstance. The remnant are those who, by force of intellect, are able to apprehend these principles, and by force of character are able, at least measurably, to cleave to them. The masses are those who are unable to do either. So here, Albert J. Nock paints a pretty dismal picture of the masses. These are folks that are simply incapable of apprehending even basic principles of human decency. So to relate this to our voluntarist libertarian situation, it would seem ethically, when you understand the non-aggression principle, the idea that it's not ethical or moral to initiate aggression against others, it seems like that's the best way to live our lives to organize society. But this concept is foreign to so many people, and these people that it's foreign to would be the masses. And in fact, when you begin engaging with the masses, the majority, and you talk to them about the non-aggression principle, and you encourage them to consider 
a different perspective when it comes to the role of government or perhaps the crazy question of whether we ought to have a government in the first place, they gloss over and things just go right back to these this defensive posture. And whenever you have this bipartisan, left-right political paradigm that people find themselves in, they there's so many people that automatically assume if you are speaking against what it is that they stand for, their Democrat progressive policies or their conservative views on on religion and social issues, then you must necessarily be a member of the other party. And they like there's been so many times when I've talked to folks that are more left leaning and progressive and I speak ill of Joe Biden and they automatically assume that I'm I'm a Trump person. But then I'm like, no, no, hold on a second. What I'm talking about is the possibility that the system is what's the problem, not who's in charge of the system, and that we have this top-down hierarchical system whereby when one group is in power, they force their values, their principles, and their policies on everyone else. And I think that's problematic. And then it's just you're it's like a deer in the headlights situation, right? People aren't even able to comprehend or entertain the possibility that the system is totally busted and corrupt and unethical and evil, right? Not only can they not comprehend it, but they don't live it. And they're perfectly comfortable with the idea that when their guy gets elected or gets put in office, it's a totally okay thing to force their views on everyone else, right? And they're perfectly okay with an enforcement class and with the police, and with the military going out, as long as it's something that their leaders, it's their leaders in power, it's their idea. You know what I'm saying? And then there's this other group of people, the remnant, who sees that we ought to live in a manner that's in line with our inherent freedom as free, beautiful human beings. And there's this clash. And so the point that I want to make in bringing this up is that, yes, it is unfortunate that big tech is censoring these amazing voices that are getting the truth out there about what's really going on. And yes, we ought to swell our ranks, but really where the value lies and where the essence of change is, is in the remnant. And in the context of the Bible, they're talking about society collapsing and apocalypse, and it's the remnant that survives and rebuilds society anew. And in the context of today and what I'm speaking about, the institution of government, the status quo, is literally collapsing and failing all around us. Sure, there's probably going to be record high voter turnout. But that's not because people have faith in the system or people love government. It's because they're so fed up with how things are going, and they're so afraid of what things would be like if the other party were in power. And so I would like for the remnant to come together. This is, this is exactly what we're doing. The Freedom Cell Network has already reached over 5,000 participants, over 5,000 participants, and those participating are becoming more and more organized every single day. The remnant we need to go ahead and build society now while the infrastructure and while the state and the state organization falls all around us. It's crumbling around us. 
So we ought to pick up the pieces, not even pick up the pieces, build new, entirely new pieces, not an upgrade to our operating system, an entirely new operating system. And I think there's a lot to be learned and a lot of inspiration that we can take from, from this essay. Now, Albert J. Knott goes on to encourage people to not be prophets of the masses, but to be prophets of the remnants. And he cautions against trying to appeal to the masses, because in doing so, you necessarily have to water down the message, right? That's where with libertarians, it's like, oh, well, maybe we shouldn't appeal to people encouraging a stateless society or anarchism or voluntarism. Let's first take the baby step of, of minarchism, right? Or maybe we shouldn't talk about 9-11 truth because that could turn people off. Well, if someone's going to be turned off by discussing Building 7 collapsing in on its own footprint, or someone's going to be turned off by you bringing up the prospect of a stateless society, then maybe they're not the person that you're seeking in the first place, right? In watering down the message, you may appeal to a broader audience, but you're turning off those that really are going to be the change makers. You're turning off the remnant. Let me read a little bit more from Albert J. Nock here. The main trouble with all of this reaction upon the mission itself, the main trouble with all this is its reaction upon the mission itself. It necessitates an opportunist sophistication of one's doctrine, which profoundly alters its character and reduces it to a mere placebo. If, say, you are a preacher, you wish to attract as large a congregation as you can, which means an appeal to the masses, and this in turn means adapting the terms of your message to the order of intellect and character that the masses exhibit. If you're an educator, say with college on your hands, you wish to get as many students as possible, and you whittle down your requirements accordingly. If a writer, you aim to get many readers. If a publisher, many purchasers. If a philosopher, many disciples. If a reformer, many converts. If a musician, many auditors, and so on. But as we see on all sides, in the realization of these several desires, the prophetic message is so heavily adulterated with trivialities in every instance that its effect on the masses is merely to harden them in their sins. Meanwhile, the remnant, aware of this adulteration and of the desires that prompt it, turn their backs on the prophet and will have nothing to do with him or his message. Now, it's a struggle because, like I was mentioning earlier, library, for example— it's what's the term an echo chamber so to speak there's you have library bitchute you have these alternative social media platforms uh like float for example float.app which is something that i'm on that's a lot of voluntarists a lot of crypto people and when you go and talk on the, those sites and you share your videos to library for example most of the people there are already hip to what's going down right you're not bringing more people to the ranks. So I think there's this balance and there's this struggle. We do want to trumpet the message to the masses. We just want to throw it out there. And I think the value in that is when we throw a radical, truth-filled, consistent, pure message out there, we're able to pick off the pieces that are on the edges of the masses, the folks that are disillusioned, that are discontent, that are questioning things. And they just are waiting to hear that message that can help push them over the edge to where they dive down the rabbit hole. They take the, the blue pill or the red pill, for example. Uh, and that's also something that Albert J. Nock talks about. He says there's a couple things that we know about the remnant. 
What chiefly makes it so, I think, is that in any given society, the remnant are always so largely an unknown quantity. You do not know and will never know more than two things about them. You can be sure of those, dead sure, as our phrase is, but you will never be able to make even a respectable guess at anything else. You do not know and will never know who the remnant are, nor what they are doing or will do. Two things you do know and no more. First, that they exist, and the second is that they will find you. And he spends some time talking about the only thing that you do really to engage the masses is just to speak publicly and to share that message. And it's the remnant that will come and find you. They will seek you out when they're ready for the message. Another great tip and tactic for truth seekers, activists, liberty lovers is not to spend so much time hammering away on those that aren't ready for the message. Like Albert J. Nock discusses, he also brings up how Plato shares this same bleak view of the masses. There's a lot of people in this world that aren't even capable of comprehending some of the principles that we profess, the principles of individual liberty, the way that free markets work, and the way that people, when left to their own devices, will organize through spontaneous order. A lot of people just, it completely goes over their heads. And I try, you know, I'm conscious of, I don't want to sound elitist when I discuss these kind of things and say, oh, our message is too too mature or too intellectual for the masses. But, you know, in all reality, they're, I think, in large part through public education and through social engineering and through this built-in check whereby people don't want to seem weird and there's this desire to be normal, right, as Tom Woods calls it, uh, the three-by-five index card of acceptable thought. There really are few people that are willing to think outside of the statist box. And, but, you know, maybe there's more people than I, than I suspect. Maybe more and more people are waking up to what's really going on. We have this paradox also, what happens when the state and the manipulators and the technocrats and the oligarchs, whenever they squeeze tighter, right? Every action has an equal and opposite reaction. Whenever they squeeze tighter and roll out more of their tyranny and their dystopia and their lockdown measures, for example, yeah, it's a bad thing. We want our freedom to be respected. But there's this equal and opposite reaction that people get pissed off. People get angry. People are like, wait a second, this doesn't make sense. Like the stewardess on the airplane, for example, she was wearing a mask and she was, and she saw my kids and she's like, man, I just feel really bad. I have a grandson. He's two years old. He's going to grow up never knowing what life is like without a mask. Right. And then she said, and I don't even know what's going on. We, we keep complying with all these things and all these changes and the cases just keep going up. Right. I think there's more and more people that are starting to see through it. It's almost as though the technocrats overplayed their hands, right? I'm, honestly, I'm more and more believing that – I did this post recently, and the post was like early on in my activist career, I was wholeheartedly a truther, right? In 2002, I woke up to what happened on 9-11, caught a documentary by old Alex Jones called 9-11 Road to Tyranny on cable access. Alex is from Austin. He used to have a cable access program. He would play his work on cable access. Caught his documentary in 2002, blew my mind, set me down the path of going down the rabbit hole, 
researching the New World Order, Council on Foreign Relations, Global Government, Trilateral Commission, Bilderberg Group, all this stuff, right? And there was a period where I thought everything was a conspiracy. I thought it was all part of the grand conspiracy. Nothing happened by chance. It's all part of a conspiracy. And then as I learned about economics, uh, Austrian economics, human action, libertarianism, I started you know, understanding a little bit more, became a little more mature. I realized that a lot of stuff is driven by greed and self-interest. But, you know, after COVID, I'm really going back to my roots and beginning to realize once again that a lot of world events are almost completely contrived. And if it's not the case that the virus, right, with 9-11, we had MyHop and LiHop, shout out if you know what that means. MyHop means made it happen on purpose. LIHOP means let it happen on purpose, right? Two different theories in the 9-11 truth movement. One, that they carried it out. They were the ones that exploded the buildings. The planes were remote controlled or whatever. LIHOP is they knew it was going to happen. They let it happen in order to bring about this desirable end. It's the same thing with COVID. Whether it's a MIHOP, they made it happen. It was lab grown. It was the Chi-Coms, the Chinese Communist Party working together with the uh, oligarchs and Bill Gates and the New World Order and World Economic Forum to carry it out so they can bring out their great reset. Or they knew that another pandemic was coming down the pike and that they were planning. They did Event 201, this simulation, because they knew that pandemics were coming and they wanted to be able to capture the fear and seize the opportunity to roll out their great reset agenda. More and more, I'm beginning to think it's a my hop, like a total control conspiracy 125% social engineering so much of society we are human cattle well not I, I, I like to think I'm not a human cattle but I still freaking file my 1040 like a good little slave but it's a total control paradigm and it's almost like the matrix where instead of the energy just being extracted from the new little bodies uh, the energy is being extracted from humans uh, in the form of taxes and energy and that money and value is being utilized to further, further enslave people and control mass populations and engage in all sorts of war paradigm. So the point I'm trying to make is that as the powers that be squeeze tighter, more people are waking up and breaking out of the matrix. So I always walk that fine line between naivete and optimism, right? And I try to lean towards the optimism Maybe not being naive, but the pessimism and, and optimism. I do believe that a lot of people are totally screwed. And I do believe that the powers that be are rolling out their great reset. And as Derek Bros correctly points out, whether Joe Biden gets in office or Donald Trump, the great reset agenda is going to carry forward. Again, as I for those of you just joining on the live feed, Great Reset is this marketing campaign being pushed by the World Economic Forum, specifically the founder of the World Economic Forum, Klaus Schwab, who is on the steering committee for the Bilderberg Group. The Great Reset calls for dramatic change in capitalism, shifting away from more market-based to stakeholder capitalism, where social equity and, and, uh, and sustainability are big issues. There is a call for the fourth industrial revolution, which will merge technology and biology. This is essentially uh, the technocratic state. 
they want to shift things away from markets and people and freedom and down towards this top-down hierarchical control society. And they have it in these peachy terms, so on and so forth. But that is what we're facing right now. And whether Trump gets elected, whether Biden gets elected, everyone's like Trump. Now, Trump is uh, – he in some ways represents a wrench in the gears of this technocratic globalism, right? Because they want global governance. The Rockefeller Foundation is a big part of it. That's what they've wanted for decades now, if not centuries, if you go back to the original Cecil Rhodes and the Milner Group and all that stuff. And Trump – represents a slight deviation in that he's more of a nationalist, but there's an entire possibility that that's a 4D chess play by the Illuminati wanting to create division so they can have order out of chaos, right? But when someone even starts to go down that line of thinking, then you look at the other research that Derek Bros has done with some essays in The Last American Vagabond where he's exploring Operation Warp Speed, and you have some very questionable appointments by Trump as far as who he is putting in charge of all of these operations. And you come to find out that there is a whole element of this warp speed agenda that is all about biomedical surveillance and technology, implantable microchips, wearable electronic devices, and the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, as well as DARPA, the Defense Advanced Research Project Agency, which is responsible for the technology that we see big tech using in this whole Panopticon society. He's a whole part of that, right? So the point is, whether he gets an office or Biden gets an office, the Great Reset agenda is rolling along. And to bring it back to the essay, the masses are willingly going to go along to get along. Even the socialists, like there's this dude on my Facebook page who's this raving socialist, hardcore. I met him back in the occupied days. We don't really have much in common, but I'm a nice guy and like to have people that we can at least have friendly discourse. And he's like, I'm sharing this thing about the Great Reset and how they want to reset capitalism to stakeholder capitalism and they want to – envision the environment and sustainability and the agenda 21 sustainability goals and stuff. And he's like, Oh, that sounds like a great thing. I'm like, well, you know, it's being carried out by oligarchs. Some of the most powerful rich people in the world, which are his enemies, right? The billionaires are his enemies. And so even socialists, even people that are seemingly against the status quo are being manipulated into going along with this new technocratic agenda, this new regime. The masses are going to go along with the program. The masses are going along with the COVID-19 psychological warfare operation. The masses are going to willingly receive their vaccine, and those that are on the fence are going to get the vaccine whenever the technocrats roll out their manipulation disincentive incentive campaign whenever they increase the cost of your health insurance whenever they say you can't fly can't enter federal buildings can't be employed you can't um, go into federal buildings or whatever you can't go to the grocery store uh, unless you get your vaccine everyone's going to go along to get along so it's more important now than ever that we find the others I think it was Terrence McKenna. Somebody had said that. I need to look into that again. I heard a friend, someone that used to work for me would say, we need to find the others, wake up the others. We need to find the others, the remnant, not just find one another, but get organized, right? And that's exactly what we hope to do with the Freedom Cell Network. 
We've reached over 5,000 people. We're organizing into small peer-to-peer decentralized groups of around eight people. Those groups link up with other groups in their area and organize in bigger groups. And then those bigger groups link up with other big groups to create our own society because it's coming down the pike. Australian authorities are already discussing how they are going to roll out their vaccine agenda and then push for vaccine compliance. And it's the same things that we see written in the New England Journal of Medicine in the United States. It's the same thing that we see written in law journals. This is what the program is going to be. They are going to use social pressure. They're going to use incentives and disincentives to try to demand compliance. There's going to be common pass, which is part of the Great Reset, Rockefeller, Gates, Consortium, Common Pass, this immunity passport, right? There's also Covey Pass. They're going to have all that stuff rolled out. The time is now. Don't be disheartened if you're an activist, if you have a show, if your YouTube channel got deleted. Yes, it sucks. Yes, we need to reach more of the masses and convert them to our side, right? But I contend, as I've contended for years now, that there are enough of us that are awake There are enough of us that appreciate the philosophy of liberty, can comprehend it, and can, are virtuous enough, and our character is enough that we can live by it. That if we organize ourselves, not only can we shield ourselves from what is to come and protect ourselves, and whenever the technocracy tries to shut us out, we can continue to trade, we can continue to grow food, we can continue to have seed exchanges, we can continue to support one another and defend one another. Not only that as a defensive mechanism, as a reactionary mechanism, but proactively, offensively, we can create a world, a society, a social organization that is more in line with our inherent humanity, that will create an environment where we are more able to thrive as human beings, an environment based on freedom. Mutually beneficial voluntary associations, voluntary exchange, free markets, counter-economics. So we can have innovation. So we can have growth. So we can explore all of the potential of the human experience without having technocrats, oligarchs, socialists, communists, controllers, Democrats and Republicans trying to shut us down, hold us back. All right, so... I think we'll go ahead and wrap up here. I want to thank everyone that's tuned in on the live feed. I want to thank everyone that's listening to the podcast. If you are on the live feed, if you're watching me on my Facebook page or my YouTube channel, I strongly encourage you to head on over to livefreenow.show, livefreenow.show. Subscribe to my podcast. We're on Stitcher. We're on iTunes. We're on Google Podcasts. There's a couple others. Now, I always encourage people to subscribe there because it's inevitable. My YouTube channel is pretty small. I want to encourage you to to go ahead and subscribe to the YouTube channel too. It's pretty small. and But sooner or later, it's going to get pulled as well. Sooner or later, I've already been banned from Facebook for seven days, probably about half a dozen times, been banned for 30, two or three times. That's why I mentioned my sponsor. Let me shout out my sponsor real quick. Brave Botanicals CBD flower, hemp flower. This is Silver Haze. It has just a little bit less than 0.3% THC, completely legal in every state. You can roll it up and smoke it. Super enjoyable, helps take the edge off, helps relax. 
but I can't give you a direct link to the website where you can buy this amazing CBD flower, an eighth or a quarter, because I'll get censored or shut down on Facebook. Here's what I think is going to happen with the censorship 4.0 or 5.0. When the vaccine is ready from Operation Warp Speed or wherever it comes, there is going to be a lot of people that anti-vaxxers and air quotes. There's going to be a lot of people that are going to be spreading the truth and encouraging people not to take it. Whenever they have their immunity passport or they have their uh, biometric tattoo, right? They have the Rice University funded by the Gates Foundation. Once you get the vaccine, then you do this little tiny uh, tattoo, this quantum dot tattoo. We're going to be shouting the rooftops, encouraging people not to do this. And there's going to be a huge wave of censorship on Facebook and on YouTube. We already see that the censorship took place before the last election. Now we have the censorship taking place before this election, and there's going to be a huge wave of censorship taking place before the vaccine rollout. So I want you to keep in touch with me. I feel that I have a lot to offer the liberty and truth community in terms of solutions and optimism. So I strongly encourage you to follow me on the website, livefreenow.show. Like old Alex Jones, of course, who is more of a juggernaut when it comes to all this stuff. He was shut out of even iTunes and all the Live Free Now and all the RSS feeds and stuff. So we'll still be able to have our RSS feed. You may just have to listen to it on your own. But look, folks, there's a lot of people that have been in this game for quite some time, and the writing is on the wall. It's time that we don't just live in the moment. Yes, live in the present moment. That's the most beautiful place to be where you can find peace and not be anxious. But we need to prepare for the future. And we've seen their playbook, they being the oligarchs, the technocrats. We know their playbook. So we can utilize strategic actions in order to prepare ourselves. Hope for the best, prepare for the worst. That's what it's all about. That's what we're going to be leaning into. I'm going to do my absolute best to not only provide information and hope to wake people up, but I think what I can bring to the table is offering solutions and how do we get from here to there? How do we insulate ourselves? How do we protect ourselves? How do we organize ourselves? What strategies should we implement in order to find freedom in our lifetime? That's what the show is all about, bringing you news, views, tips, and tools you can use to live a free, prosperous, and healthy life. All right, so I think I'm going to end it. End it there. Uh, to recap, we shared a little bit, some bad news about the Conscious Resistance Network YouTube channel getting taken down, unfortunately. Uh, it was inevitable. We saw it. It was the writing on the wall. I invite you to go check out Derek's library channel. It is linked down below. And then I shared about my story going to Florida. It was a great, wonderful time. It was strange flying and being at this this amusement park with all the COVID stuff. But it was very beautiful to see in Florida, people are getting back to normal, even older folks. There's thousands of people not wearing masks, downtown St. Augustine, very beautiful thing. And then we shared about Albert J. Knox's essay. I strongly encourage you to read it. I linked to it down there. It's not super long, but it's long enough to be meaty. Albert J. Knox's essay, Isaiah's Job, from the book of Isaiah, talks about, forget about the masses. The message isn't for the masses. The message is for the remnant. The remnant are those people that are going to pick up the pieces of society and rebuild when it all comes crashing down. I'm saying, let's not wait for society to come crashing down. Let's go ahead and build our version of society that's based on mutually beneficial voluntary association, not 
you were born in this geographic area, therefore you signed up for this social contract, therefore we can control you, track, trace, tax you all you want. Let's go ahead and build that new society, that new social organization. And guess what? We already are. It's called the Freedom Cell Network. We just reached over 5,000 people globally. All right, folks, this is John Bush signing out. Thank you so much for tuning in. Thanks to all the podcast listeners and everybody there. Eerie Fairy, David Knotts, Double Down, Tinker Bliss, Jet Petty, Cheryl Brown, Jose. Thank you guys for tuning in. Peace and freedom. I'm out.